Welcome to Scanner School. My name is Phil Lichtenberger. In today's podcast, we're going to talk about seven scanner radio myths that we need to debunk. Now, if you're listening to this over on our podcast platform or any of the podcast platforms, you can see a presentation about this podcast in a little bit shorter and condensed format over on our YouTube channel. We'll put a link to that video in the description of this podcast episode. So the first myth we have to get into is the biggest one out there. Myth number one of seven, encryption is killing the hobby. I disagree with this wholeheartedly. And I have to say that this is just another stumbling block or another hurdle when it comes to what it is that we enjoy here with the hobby. So many, many, many years ago, this was the same story when we had trunking showing up on the scene. Before we had any scanner radios out there that would listen to a Motorola Type 1 trunk system. That's how far back we're going here. Type 1 trunk systems. Once Unidin came out with the first scanner radio that properly understood the protocol and the way that Motorola Type 1 trunking would work, and it came out, I think it was the Bearcat, I'm going to say the 895 maybe, but what you had to do was you had to put the fleet code in there, you had to put the offsets, and there was a little bit involved to get the radio programming. But like I said, the first scanner radio that would do it. And up until that radio came out, the only way you could listen to trunked scanning was by putting all the voice channels in in a scan list and hoping for the best because you were unable to filter out the talk groups like you could today. So think about that. Could you imagine having a multi-talk group system and not be able to filter out between fire, police, EMS, hospitals, whatever else is on there, radio techs, DPW, all this other nonsense you don't want to listen to. No, you'd go insane. And that's exactly where we had to start at some point in time. Encryption, yes, it is preventing us from listening to what it is that possibly we want to listen to forever. I understand that. The only way to get around encryption is to have the encryption go away. We're not talking about furthering or getting better radios or radios that are able to work around the new technology. I understand. Apples to oranges here. But we also need to remember here that we have to think about this as ourselves evolving in the hobby. What I always like to say and the analogy I always like to use when it comes to talking about encryption is the fact that we don't throw out our TVs and stop watching television when our favorite show is canceled. We don't throw out our MP3 players or our car stereos or our entire CD collection, if you still use one, if our favorite band breaks up. Likewise, we don't forget how to read and throw out all our books, whatever 
if our favorite author decides that they're not going to continue with a series that we want wanted to continue reading about, right? The scanner radio hobby has to fall under that umbrella. If your local police and your local fire department decided that they're going to encrypt and you're not going to be able to listen to them anymore, does that mean that the hobby is dead? All right, I understand. You're a little bit sour with the fact that you can't listen to what it is that you love to listen to. But there's plenty of bands out there I loved to listen to and still do that will never make music again. Doesn't mean I'm not going to listen to those bands anymore. Doesn't mean I'm not going to listen to Apple iTunes or, or, or stream music or go on iHeartRadio or, or listen to other similar bands and music within the genre. Learn to adapt to the encryption. Learn to listen to something different. You may find something else that you are interested in. I, I get it. Not everybody wants to listen to amateur radio or GMRS or aviation or marine traffic, but maybe you get yourself hooked on federal and hunting out all these different federal frequencies that are unlisted and figuring out who is transmitting based off of radio IDs. Maybe you get yourself into mill air because you never know who's flying overhead and when. And all of a sudden, you're listening to practice dogfights or refueling or you're prepared for when the president comes into town. All these little things that change the way you listen. Maybe you start figuring out that there's plenty of other trunk systems in the area that you haven't figured out yet. You get involved with software-defined radio. The weather reception. I mean, I'm not talking about like no weather reception. I'm talking about no. Decoding the weather satellites as they pass overhead and getting your software-defined radios to display that information on your computer screen. Maybe you get into SSTV or other kinds of just different things that are out there. Think of you lose one sense, uh, you know, one of your five senses. Another one's going to get stronger, right? Encryption's got to work the same way as that. Okay. Encryption's not killing the hobby. I'm just, that's all there is, right? It just gives you an opportunity to do something different with what it is that you love. It's going to force you to do it. Unfortunately, I know a lot of people just don't want to do it. All right, number two, myth number two goes right in hand in hand with myth number one. There is nothing left to listen to. Complete myth. Because if everything went encrypted and there's nothing left to listen to, then I just rambled on about the last five minutes about all the other things that you could listen to and why you should listen to them. Again, there's plenty of stuff out there that won't be encrypted. You're not going to get uh, most of the interop channels would have to stay unencrypted because people roaming in would need the encryption key in order to get there. Now, I'm sure there's interop channels out there that are encrypted, and you're going to prove me wrong by sending me in a list about that. I get it. But a lot of this stuff should not be encrypted when it comes to interoperability. You are going to find out that just amateur radio cannot be encrypted. It's against the FCC rules and regulations here in the United States when it comes to encryption on amateur radio. It's got to be in the clear and it's got to be something or it's going to be easily decoded based on the protocol, plain language, no codes, no funny talk, funny business, right? Everything's got to be out there in the clear on amateur radio. And I believe the same thing holds true with GMRS. But again, all these analog frequencies that are out there, aviation, marine, railroads, just name a few of these, of these different things that are out there that you're just not going to have encryption on. So basically what I'm saying for 
myth number one and myth number two is that there is still plenty of stuff to listen to, even when you factor in that we're losing things to listen to because of encryption. It is neither killing the hobby, and there's still plenty of things to listen to with our scanner radios, which is why these two myths are at the top of the list. Okay, myth number three. Simulcast is making it difficult to hear anything on our P25 trunk systems. Now, this is true when it comes to, say, older radios, right? That just don't work as well when it comes to simulcast. But we have to learn how to scan and set up our radios all over again. And here's why. Many radios will work fine in a simulcast environment if we can eliminate the simulcast itself, which means when you look at radio reference and you see sites listed and it says site, any town XYZ, an apprentices or, you know, after it says simulcast, what that is telling us is that we have a linked network of transmitter locations that are transmitting at the exact same time with the exact same information. This means that there's propagation delays. And when we're talking about microseconds of zeros and ones coming in out of sync, that means our scanner radios can't put the zeros and ones in the proper order, which means that the bit error rate goes way too high and the scanner says, I just can't listen to this. And it goes back to the control channel. How do we eliminate all these extra zeros and ones? How do we eliminate the propagation delay? This is why I'm saying we need to relearn how we set up our scanners. Don't use the external antennas. Don't use high gain antennas. Sometimes you might need to set the attenuator. What I'm trying to say here is more is not better, especially when it comes to reception. You want to use an antenna that is not going to give you a lot of gain. What kind of antenna would that be? That would be the antenna that is on the back of your radio or the top of your portable radio, not the antenna that's on your house. Many of these P25 systems are built for being able to get onto the network with a portable radio. Something in the upper 90% of the coverage area of this trunk system must be able to serve a police officer with their portable radio. It's part of the criteria of lighting up and approving these sites and these networks. This means that if an officer can get onto the network and hear the network, then we should have no issues with our portable radios or our set-top antennas on hearing the same network. We might need to set the attenuator. We might need to bring out the golden paperclip, right? There are plenty of things that we can use to eliminate the simulcast. But if we're driving around, we may have an issue. Now, this is true for a lot of areas that we're just not going to get rid of the simulcast issues. I can't listen to my neighboring county's P25 simulcast network with my TRX-1, even when I'm eliminating all the simulcast issues. It just doesn't seem to work that well for me on that radio. Simulcast will make it difficult to hear anything on that radio. I have more luck with my 325P2. I have better luck with my 436P2. And yes, I hear everything with my SDS100 and SDS200. There are solutions out there. But if you want a cheaper solution, you can go to software-defined radio. And yes, that does require you to use a computer. But this also touches on myth number four. 
it's too expensive to scan. And let me tell you, this myth really needs to be at the top of the list. And I am honestly, it's just one of these deals that kind of irks me a little bit. Now, I don't mean any offense by it whatsoever. But when people complain about it being too expensive to scan with today's radios, and they go, oh, you know, an SDS is going to cost me $650. That's a lot of money. You're right. That is a lot of money, $650. But let's look about, so let's go back in time to, I don't know, 1990. That seems like a pretty good year to me. And we're going to look at the Radio Shack Pro 2005, which basically was the top of the line scanner at that time. Now, back in 1990, according to the Radio Shack catalog, and I went on to Radio Shack catalogs, Dot com and looked up the 1993 catalog, I can see that the Pro 2005 was selling for $419. Now, even in today's standards, $419 is a big nut to crack. But when we count for inflation and we go to 2023 value here, that Pro 2005 would actually sell for $954 today. Meaning that the SDS 200, when you compare the value of both scanners, for which you could buy them for today, if it was brand new, et cetera, et cetera, the SDS 200 is $300 less than a Pro 2005. Pro 2005 was a 400 channel only analog scanner. An SDS 200, the simulcast, color display, trunking, P25. I mean, come on. Big difference. Now, Let's look at the lowest side of the house here. A Pro 57 was a 10-channel scanner. 10 channels. 10. 10 channels. $139. Do you know what that's worth today? If we had to account for inflation, and again, by the way, the inflation I'm getting is from the usinflationcalculator.com, that 10-channel scanner is going to cost you 300 and $16. Think about it. For about that same amount of money, you could get a Uniden BCD325P2. Almost. Not quite, but almost. The BCD325P2 uh, obviously gets you Phase 2 P25 trunk systems. 9,000 memory channels? No, 25,000 memory locations in that radio. Come on. If you think about that the scanner radio hobby is just getting to be too much money, it's not. It's it's a, it's more affordable today than it ever has been. I want to go ahead three more years to 1993 to prove another point here. Okay? The Pro 2006 in the Radio Shack catalog was Today, the Pro 2006, if we had to account for inflation, would actually be valued at $824. Okay, not as much as a Pro 2005, but still a huge nut to crack. And apples to apples here, the Pro 58 is $129, which means it's cheaper than the Pro 57. And by the way, the Pro 2005 was still more money than the Pro 2006. The Pro 58 would be valued at $267 in today's money for a 10-channel scanner. Who out there wants to spend $260-something for only 10 channels? 
our entry-level scanners right now, the SR30C, the BC125AT, the Whistler Pro 1025 or the 1010, all get you 10 times minimum that amount of memory channels for half of what it would cost you for that same radio if you counted for inflation. So myth number four is busted, that the scanner radio hobby is becoming too expensive. It's not. It's actually more affordable than it ever has been when we count in for inflation. As a reminder, I have this exact presentation in a much smaller format on our YouTube channel, and we'll put a link to that in the description. And as a secondary reminder, anybody who's a Patreon supporter at a $3 or a higher level does not get this commercial break. If you want to support the podcast and get the podcast early, go to scannerschool.com slash Patreon. Everybody else will catch you all in just a moment. Chances are pretty good that you shop online and buy things online. So whether it's Amazon or eBay or Scanner Master, maybe you got a new radio and you're going to buy new software from Butel. You can help support the podcast with your online purchases. If you use our support page before buying things online, you can support our show without it costing you a single cent. So before you buy your groceries, your golf balls, your socks, or maybe a new radio, software, or whatever it is. We would love it if you could use our affiliate links before you make that purchase. And this will help support the show at no additional cost to you. Go to scannerschool.com support to find out how you can help us out. Thanks again. Do you feel lost when it comes to the scanner hobby? Are you looking for someone to answer your questions? Do you have a new radio and you need help understanding how it works? Or are you working on a big project and need somebody to bounce ideas off of? Do you need a little bit more personal assistance than what you can get from an online community? And are you looking for somebody to dedicate their attention and their time to helping you out when it comes to getting you unstuck with whatever it is that you are struggling with when it comes to the scanner radio hobby? I'm here to do just that. See, you can book me for a session right now where I'll sit on Zoom and do a video or a screen share with you just as if I am sitting across the table and helping you out. You can book your tutoring session right now by going to scannerschool.com tutoring. I can't wait to help you out. Unication's G2 to G5 pages are great additions to your radio collection. Not only can they alert you with two-tone pager activations, but they can also monitor your local P25 simulcast systems that many scanner radios have problems receiving. And of course, many of our scanner school listeners are happily using their Unication pagers to scan their local trunk systems. How do I know? Because they've reached out to tell me. My company, East Coast Pagers, is an authorized Unication, Swiss phone, and Apollo pager dealer. We not only support departments and agencies, but also the home hobby user as well. Find us online at eastcoastpagers.com. All right, welcome back. So let's go through the top four myths already that we've got established here. Myth number one, encryption is killing the hobby. Myth number two, there is nothing left to listen to. Myth number three, simulcast makes it difficult to even hear anything. And myth number four, it's just too expensive today to get started with the scanner radio hobby. Okay, well, what's another myth that we have to bust right here? I'm going to say the scanner radio hobby is just too complicated to get started with and to learn in today's environment. Listen, I understand there's a lot to go on here, right? This is no longer the days of just AM or FM conventional reception. 
VHF low or VHF, right? We have a lot of things that we have to worry about here, a lot of acronyms. PL, CTCSS, which by the way, the exact same things. DPL, DCS, again, the same things. P25, NXDN, DMR. Oof, we got a lot of things we have to worry about here. Trunking, how does it work? Talk groups, yes. As things progress and as things get more advanced, right? There's a lot of stuff that we have to learn, but the basics are always still there. Radio works the exact same way it used to work for all all time, right? The technology has changed, but you still have an electromagnetic signal, RF, radio frequency, that is being transmitted and you are receiving it. In its bare bones, it's the same type of technology, but it's what's happening over these wavelengths from analog to digital to spread spectrum, which again, we can't listen to on the radio anyway. But the point here is that in its simplest form, scanning is just radio reception. And we may not need to worry about some of the more advanced features like CTCSS or PL codes or DPL codes. If all we want to do is listen to something, we can simply pop in a analog frequency and tune to it. And as we learn, and as we start progressing through the hobby, we can learn and adapt and adjust our radios to what it is we have to get into. Listen, it took me several weeks to wrap my head around trunking when I first started with my very first trunk radio that I was that I was using. The first radio that I bought that introduced me to trunking was a Uniden BC785D. My first experience with it was setting up an EDAX system where I quickly learned that logical channel numbering makes all the difference. Frequencies needed to be put in order in the scanner in order for the scanner to work. And well, to the left and to the right of me, New York City and Suffolk County, New York, both had Motorola Type 2 systems, which programmed into the scanner completely different. Okay, so I learned that trunking in itself was exactly the same. No matter what type of network it was on, it was still a control channel, and it was still voice channels, and it was still talk groups. The differences here is how you established or set up the actual trunk system, whereas EDAX came in two different flavors, basically with wide and narrow EDAX control channels and logical channel numbering. Motorola Type 2 required a little bit less work. You put the control channels in, you put the voice channels in, and you put the talk groups in, and it just magically worked. What I also discovered is my very first handheld radio that supported EDAX was a RadioShack Pro 95. And I couldn't start the very first control channel or the very first logical channel on position zero, which was the first position in the bank. No, no, no. It had to be in position number one. So if it was a bank that started with 50, it would be 51. Or if it was 100, it'd be 101. Okay? The last digit, the ones digit had to match, or the ones in the tens digit had to match what the logical channel number was. Again, it took multiple times of programming these scanners in order for me to finally figure it out and understand what it was I was doing. 
it's not complicated to learn. It's trial and error. It's figuring things out. And the benefit of doing things today is the fact we have a lot more resources available to us. Back in the day, when I first started going through trunking 20 plus years ago, we didn't have websites out there like Radio Reference that would help us out, right? We didn't have bigger communities. We had IRC chat groups. We had AOL chat groups. We had local bulletin boards. That's where we gathered our information from, right? Today, we can get information on Facebook. We can get information on YouTube videos. We can get information right out of Radio Reference. There's plenty of places out there, and you're listening to one right now. Or you can go to my, our YouTube channel. You can go to our Discord server, scannerschool.com slash Discord. And there are people there who that are more than willing to help you out with any problems that you may have with getting started or learning about what it is that you're trying to get through on your scanner radio. So right now, today is actually one of the best times to learn how to get into the scanner radio hobby. And if you've been in the hobby for a very long time, but you're trying to figure out something new, it's a great time for that as well. Because there are more people out there now, I think than ever before, who have access to real-time sharing and helping and communications or community types of websites social media, et cetera, that can help you with any issue you may happen to have when it comes to this hobby. Okay, myth number six. We have one more to go after this one. Myth number six is scanning is an old man's hobby or people are going to think that I am weird. Well, scanning is not for everybody, but it's definitely not an old man hobby. And just because you're in the hobby doesn't mean that you're strange or you're weird. There's a lot of weird hobbies out there. I mean, there's there's some strange stuff, right? People will get into all sorts of things. But it's what makes things interesting for you. And it's definitely not an old man's hobby. It's not, you know, it's not your grandfather scanning anymore. There's a ton of people out there that are in the hobby and are in their 20s, or finding it as a teenager. And we've had plenty of people on the podcast as guests who have who are in their, in their early 20s, who are late teens, right? I started as a teenager in this hobby, and that's because I had family that introduced me to the radio hobby. Now, coming up shortly on Scanner School, we have somebody that got started with the Scanner Radio Hobby in the late 50s. And he talks about all the changes that he's witnessed. So, I mean, I don't want to insult the guy and say, well, he's fit in the shoe as an old man's hobby. But when you spend more than 50 years in a hobby, you put your time into it, right? You spent a better part of your life in this hobby. But it's more than just grandpa sitting in a lazy boy, enjoying an alcoholic beverage, listening to the scanner. Yeah, perfectly fine. Can be that. But there's plenty of people out there that are listening because they have loved ones in the fire service or the police services, or they're just into aviation monitoring, right? There are people all walks of life 
in the radio hobby. Yeah, it brings out some strange folks, but it brings out some average Joes too. It's not an old man's hobby. There's plenty of people from all walks of life and all age groups and all demographics are all in the hobby. And I think this is one of those things that makes it universal, right? Anybody can go to the corner store or to the Walmart. You used to be able to go to the Radio Shack, right? You can go online on Amazon or Scanner Master or wherever it is you want to go ahead and buy a scanner and get one set up and hear something about it. And I'm seeing that a lot of people might be on Reddit, for example, who discover that they want to get into this, the world of software-defined radios. And that is their gateway into the scanner radio hobby because they want to tinker with something and they want to investigate. And they want to hack through a – you know, not hack in a dangerous way, but they want to understand what's happening over airwaves. And they start learning about coax and antennas and RF and the different frequencies and modulation schemes and all this other stuff. And then they realize, oh, well, I can use this software to monitor this and I can use this software to, to, to receive that. And then before you know it, they're into the scanner radio hobby. So it's definitely not an old man's hobby. It's an everybody hobby, right? And I think that this is something that is very magical about being into scanner radios. Okay, the last myth is you need a good outdoor antenna to be able to hear anything. And this is a myth that I think we busted earlier in this session because it used to be that if you wanted to hear anything, especially when it was conventional or a simplex, right, you have to have an outdoor antenna. Now, yeah, if you want to go for a distance, if you want to listen to outside of your county, if you want to listen to uh, stations that are 20 plus, 30, 40 miles away, right, you would have a much better time with an outdoor antenna. But as we said earlier in the podcast, a lot of these trunk radio systems are built for police officers to be able to get on the network, first of all, which means the network needs to hear them key up and transmit. But they also need to be receiving the control channel in order to do that. So most of these P25 public safety networks and other networks as well, to be honest with you, and I know some of them fail to have, to have done that, which is why a lot of these systems just fall back to P25 anyway when they go back to the drawing board is because with officer safety in mind, when they're outside the vehicle, they've got to raise somebody on the other end of the radio for help. If their man down alarm goes off, it has to be able to go out over the network and alert somebody that their radio is horizontal and not vertical. If they press the little orange button on the top of the radio, that signal needs to go out as says officer in danger. Now, these systems are 90-something percent good to go. There's going to be dead spots everywhere. It's, this, it's just the way that RF works, right? But that said, I know when I listen here at home now, if I'm listening to my local P25 system, I don't need to plug into my outdoor antenna. It's an overkill because you're not going to bring in more than 100% of your signal, Right? If you can bring in enough signal to get a good quality decode on your radio without getting too much bit error rate, but you still good, got a good receive on there, you don't need the outdoor antenna. Save your outdoor connection for the radios that need an outdoor connection. Something like Marine, Railroad, 
aviation, maybe even amateur radio, do some DXing, right? But for the most part, a lot of the stuff we listen to these days are on trunked radio systems. And as long as you can pick that up, wherever you may happen to be, you don't need an outdoor antenna. And to stress it even further, my radios are in my basement. I don't need an outdoor antenna for much of the stuff I listen to right now. I still love my outdoor antenna. I will use it to listen to New York City. I'll use it to listen to the outskirts of my county and my neighboring county. And if I want to go even further than that, yeah, absolutely, outdoor antenna. But for the majority of listening, I don't need it. I listen to my local fire department that covers my town. I can listen to that anywhere in the house all day long with the antenna that comes on top of my radio. Yes, if I want to listen to the rest of my county, definitely, definitely using an outdoor antenna. But to get started, to get my feet wet, to get going, right? I don't need to spend a lot of money, myth number four, it's too expensive, and get an outdoor antenna. It's something that you can grow into. In fact, an outdoor antenna may, again, myth number three, make some cast difficult for you to hear anything. Remember, I said this countless of times before on many other podcast episodes. You have to remember that scanning is a hobby, right? We're going to understand how it works the more we get involved with it. We're going to understand what it is that we need the more that we play around with it. As we said, I believe it was last week, right? You're going to compare this to another hobby such as photography. You're going to learn how a point-and-shoot camera or the camera that is built into your smartphone is in a completely different league as a DSLR. You're going to learn quickly when you buy new lenses what the differences are between a wide lens, a fish lens, a telephoto lens, an all-purpose lens, a lens with image stabilization in it, f-stops, right? What's the difference between an f2.8 and an f1.4 lens? I mean, they sound pretty low to me, but when you start playing around and understanding what the f-stops can do for you, an f-stop of 16 is not equivalent of an f-stop 1.4. The crop factor on a DSLR, a full-frame camera, it will change your zoom length effectively, your focal length on the lens. Your ISO, right? You're not going to crank the ISO up to 800. Well, I mean, today it's it's a lot different than when it was when I first got started, though. But maybe an ISO of 1600 versus an ISO of 100, right? You're going to get some graininess or some uh, noise on that picture. Again, these are all things we're going to learn. Oh, by the way, don't forget shutter speed, right? You want to blur that photo. But again, shutter speed with f-stop, how much light is coming in. I mean, you've got to stop and think about all these things. And don't forget, you've got aperture promote, aperture preferred, aperture priority. You have all these different modes, right? Full-on manual, shutter speed priority. It, it's, it's just it's crazy when you start looking at a camera and how fast you can get overwhelmed. But you can always throw it in full auto and let the camera make the decisions for you. And then you can start playing around with it. And then you could start, I guess what they still call it, chimping, right? Where you, 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 you take the picture and you look at the screen right away to see what that picture is like. You couldn't do that in the film days. You had to write down on a piece of paper and it was photo one had this settings and photo two had these settings and photo three had these settings. 
And you would take that piece of paper and you would keep it with you and you would develop the film. And then you would see the difference on what happened on that roll of film. You couldn't go back and get real-time feedback on what it was you were doing. It was a low or a slow burn time in understanding how photography works. Thankfully, when I first started getting into DS uh, cameras, right? I mean, I had point and shoots that were film cameras. 110 APX, I think is what it was. 35 millimeter. But when I first started getting serious with cameras, with interchangeable lenses, it was a Canon D20 or 20D, right? It had a screen on the back of it. I was able to buy lenses and see the differences. Yeah, it was a tiny screen. Nothing like what I have today. But still, you have to learn somewhere. So I digress. Going back through the list here. Let's go backwards here. Number seven, you need an outdoor antenna, a good outdoor antenna. No, you can get by just fine. Learn how scanners work with the antenna that comes with it. You can graduate into the more expensive setups. Number six, scanning is an old man's hobby. What people are going to think I'm weird? Absolutely not. All walks of life are in the scanner radio hobby. Yeah, you got some weirdos out there, but you got some weirdos in every single hobby. Number five, it's too complicated to learn. Absolutely not. Today is a great time to get into the scanner radio hobby because there's so many resources out there for you. Number four, it's too expensive. Look, we proved it here. We went through the Radio Shack catalog and on the inflation rate calculator, and we figured out how much money you'd have to lay out today to get yesterday's radios. And it would cost you more than you expect, a lot more than you expect to get a 400-channel Pro 2005 than it is to get today's top-of-line unit in SDS 200. Shocking, right? Okay, myth number three, simulcast makes it difficult to hear anything. Again, we have ways around simulcasts, right? Again, no outdoor antenna, maybe attenuating your scanner. And again, we have software-defined radios and an SDS 200 that if you do have the funds for an SDS, go for it. But if you don't, an SDR is a great way to get started. And we've got a free course over at courses.scannerschool.com to help you get started with a $30 software-defined radio and be listening to P25 and DMR traffic in an afternoon. Okay, number two, there's nothing left to listen to because number one, encryption is killing the hobby. False and false. Remember, we don't throw out a TV because our favorite TV show is canceled. We don't throw out our our radios, you know, our, our car stereo, our CD collection, whatever it is we listen to, right? Our MP3 collection because our favorite band broke up. No, not happening. You find something else to listen to. You find another TV show to watch. It's a fact of life, right? Things that we enjoy are eventually not going to be there anymore. I get it. My local PD is encrypted, the entire county. I can't listen to them anymore. I feel your pain. But there's always going to be something out there to listen to. And again, I'm going to beat this dead horse one more time. The secrets are in the searches. You've heard me say that how many times? The secrets are in the searches. One of my favorite things to do is find new things to listen to just by hunting them out. 
it is extremely rewarding and exciting to go through your scanners and hear something new, listen to it, and try to figure out who is on the other side of that speaker. So I'm curious to know what you thought about these seven scanner radio myths. Why don't you join your fellow scan nerds in our Discord server by going to scannerschool.com slash Discord and let me know if you have any additional myths that maybe I didn't touch on that you think belong with the scanner radio hobby. Before we wrap up this week's podcast, I want to take a minute here to thank all of our Patreon supporters. Alan Gonzalez, Arthur Altrack, Arthur Heron, Bill Kay, Bob Robs, Bob Middleton, Brandon Sammons, Brian King, Chris Paris, Craig Harper, Dan, Dave Dombrowski, David Pasco, David C., David Kuznetsky, Danny Crotty, Dylan Hyder, Ed Walsh, Edward Bramblett, Glenn Dabos, Glenn Wright, Greg Johnson, Guy Lee, I Hate Junk Mail, Jack Haycock, Jacques Berry, Jake Jacobson, James Broxson, James Felling, Jay Reed, Jeff Block, Jeff Chapman, Jeff McLeod, Jeff Waldrop, Jim B., Jim Heinrich, Joe P., John Cordov, John Keel, John Sweeney, John Derby, John Goldenberg, Joshua Robb, Ken Newberry, Kenneth Fowler, Kevin Zwicky, Lenny Bauer, Les Stevenson, Lloyd R., Mark Beebe, Michael Gorman, Michael Kroger, Michael Meadows, Mike Lopez, Mike Piltz, Nicholas Stenger, Paul Teal, Raymond Hill, Rich Palomari, Ronnie Box, Sal Marandola, Scott Lefgrand, Terry Wright, Thomas Giampino, Tim Mazet, Todd Glendie, and William Arcand. Find out more about Patreon and our support tiers by visiting scannerschool.com slash Patreon. Thanks again for listening. We'll catch you again next week. 73.